Have you ever wondered how successful architecture, engineering, and construction companies scale their business? Or have you ever wanted guidance on how to get more growth, wealth, and freedom from your AEC company? Well, then you're in luck. Hi, I'm Will Forat. And I'm Justin Nagel, and we're your podcast hosts. We interview successful AEC business leaders to learn how they use people, process, and technology to scale their businesses. So sit back and get ready to learn from the industry's best. This is Building Scale. On today's episode, we have Jim Dvorak. He is the president and owner of Hard Rock Concrete Cutters. They've been serving the Chicagoland and Northwest Indiana area since 1987. Jim has been a leader in the concrete sawing and drilling industry for more than 35 years. He served as president of the Concrete Sawing and Drilling Association from 1999 to 2001, and then again from 2011 to 2013. He just finished his second term on the board of directors of the Chicagoland Association of General Contractors. But more than all this, Jim has been married for 40 years, has four children and eight grandchildren, and that's where he likes to spend his time more than anywhere else. So Jim, welcome to the show. Nice to see you both. Nice to see you as well. Jim, we we always, the first time I met you uh, was in your office and we got to just hear more about like how how you started, like how, how Hard Rock started, all of those kind of learning lessons that you've gone through. So like this to me is very much like we should have done this two years ago, three years ago. This this makes tons of sense. We, we, we had some of these stories already. So tell us a little bit about yourself and then Hard Rock and how, how you guys got started. I had worked in the industry since 1979, and I worked for one of the pioneering companies in the industry. And in 1986, I had a personal change in my life, and I felt the leading to move on to do something different. And at that same time, in September of 1986, I got a chance to be involved with some testing and cutting for the Al Capone's Vault television show with Araldo Rivera. And so I did that in September. We had some conversations with the owner of that other company, the other person and myself that were co-founders of the company. And uh, we went to him and he was going to make changes within the company because there were things that became apparent to me that needed to change that just didn't uh, fit into what I thought are a properly run company and some leadership in that company that I felt needed to change. And so we decided, he decided to continue to go forward with his leadership team. And in early 1987, we decided to go off on our own and form Hard Rock Concrete Cutters. I mean, that's actually really, even though you are a foundling in terms of you know, your industry, you're right at the beginning of the industry. This is a very typical story as far as how new companies get started, right? Break away from from the existing and feel like you can do something better or you feel like there's something that, that needs to change and you don't have the power. So, and that's kind of part of what's made you successful. You want to talk a little bit about what actually has made you successful and what's made Hard, hard Rock successful? Well, First and foremost, it's we've surrounded ourselves with some really great people over the years and that helped lead it. But I believe there's a big difference between being able to do, in my case, concrete cutting, to be a good concrete cutting operator and be able to run 
a industry leading concrete cutting company. I didn't come to this with a tremendous amount of formal business training. I did go to school for a while and take business courses, but I learned most of it through acquaintances and getting to know people in various associations, picking out mentor companies that I had, mentor business owners, people like that, that I would talk with and spend time with and, and pick their brain on, if you're doing something like this, how would you handle it? And, and try to utilize their experience and i think perseverance is extremely important because in the last 35 years there's been some tremendous highs and there have been some very deep water periods of time that i had to navigate through and i have a strong personal faith as a christian and i would i can't imagine doing this 35 journey without that faith so, so when we talk about faith, I want to dive right into it. So obviously faith is a big piece for you. How, like what does that what does that give you? Like what does having faith give you to to give that perseverance essentially? One, I believe I'm not going through this alone that I have I and I believe in the power of prayer and there have been circumstances that people might say were just circumstances and I believe they were answers to prayer. I also believe when you have confidence that this is a temporal part of your life and that your future is in heaven, your future is with Jesus Christ in heaven and he's your Lord and Savior, when you have that confidence, you can go through turmoils of life and know that this is just temporal and you know that there's a plan and a purpose for your life that goes far beyond this and transcends the issues you're in of that day. And I also believe we go through struggles in life because part of what I believe we do is we're paying forward. I went through deep waters in early 2000 to 2006. I learned from those and there have been opportunities since that where other business people have come alongside and said, hey, back in these days, I went through this trouble in my business and personal life and I was able to get around it by doing this and that. I believe part of the purpose for us to navigate through these difficult times is to learn from them and to become a mentor, a person who can speak from experience to others who are experienced it themselves. That's what helps me get through it. Did it also help you when you started? Yeah, because when I started, we started with no money really in the bank. I had one child and another, our second child on the way. We had the confidence that we would succeed. And me and my business partner had a work ethic that we were just going to work and make a success of it no matter what. And fortunately, we did. Tell us a little bit about those beginning days, those, those early days with the, with the dropping you off truck thing. I think our listeners would love to hear that. Well, back in 1987, the communication that you had back then was not as easy as today. And often, if you wanted to reach out to a customer, you had to go, go find a payphone. And when we'd get two jobs, my job was to find the work for the company. And I had my business partner, Pete, he was the primary person out doing the work. And so when we had two jobs, he would drop me off at one job, go to his job. I would work at my job until I finished it. 
And then I'd go find a pay phone or see if I could borrow an office phone if I was at a factory or something and start making calls trying to line up work for the next day or later in the week or whatever we needed to do. So it was definitely different and you had to make sure you had enough change in your pocket in case you had to keep feeding the phone all day. So listeners, for those of you that are too young to know what a payphone is, these are these just standalone boxes that were sitting in the middle, sometimes on a corner, sometimes in the middle of nowhere, and you had to go feed it money in order to be able to talk to someone. Unlike modern day cell phones, these were stood, you know, stood fast on the ground. You could not move these. And if you wanted to receive a call out of payphone, you had to wait there until you got the call from the payphone. So if someone was late, guess what? You were waiting there for a while, 10, 15, 20 minutes, or in the case of Jim, you know, his work ethic was good. And I'm sure between his partner, we'll probably get, get into that in a second, maybe a few less minutes, but no matter what, if you miss that phone call, well, either you have to have a little bit of faith to know that that person is going to call you back again or give up and maybe you're going to be walking home. That's right. So, and it, you know, we shortly after starting business got pagers. So at least you would have that to where, as you're working, you'd get buzzed and they'd have the phone number on there and you go find something to get back to them. You've literally gone through the full stack of communication technology through Hard Rocks, you know, from payphone to pagers, you know, office phones, cell phones, now obviously communication through Zoom, like we're doing through this podcast. You've literally gone through all facets of that, Jim, which is very remarkable. Yeah, and you have to reinvent the way you communicate as each one changes. So. Jim, where'd you get your work ethic from? How'd you, how'd you learn your work ethic? I grew up in a middle-income family in Chicago. I was one of six children. With six children, and my parents were sending us all to parochial schools, so it was expensive for them, and they couldn't afford a lot. So starting at a very young age, at about 10 years old, I started doing jobs around the neighborhood, delivering papers, cutting grass, shoveling snow, anything I could make money at, and pretty much from then on, I was working in one form or another the rest of my life. I had a dad who worked for the phone company his entire career until he retired and you know, took pride in the fact that he got this award from the phone company for not missing a day of work in 25 years. So, and that was an award he got. I mean, I know days he went to work sick as a dog, but he went to work because he had six children and a family to support, and he wasn't going to miss a day of work. Wow, that's incredible. That Learning that type of work ethic, that is, A, that must have been not easy, and B, that's a work ethic that even, you know, I would have to look up to. That's an incredible work ethic. It's not something that we hear about much these days. So that's that's great. You know, how did you actually, so how did you actually get business you know, in the beginning, because sounds like there's a combination of work ethic, perseverance and faith that, that like, what were you doing to get new business, especially in the beginning? It seems really hard. The company I had worked at before I was involved in the sales team and actually did a lot of the work finding and developing new accounts. 
and coordinating that sales team. My business partner who had worked out, we both had done the work and then moved on into sales. And he also had some accounts, but when we left, there were people I had developed relationships with that moved their business from where we were to the company we started. And we got very fortunate. There was one particular company out of Glen Ellen DeVito Sewer, who had an extremely large project, and it kept my partner working like almost every day for three months. And and the other nice thing, because we did start our company virtually with no money and, you know, no uh, nest egg put aside, they were paying us at the end of every week for whatever work we did that week. So it helped us to build a nest egg so that we could continue to hire people and grow the company. We were fortunate enough to grow that company that first year from just me and him to nine trucks out on the street performing work by the end of 1987. Holy cow. Uh, That's super fast growth. That's massive growth. That that growth is like crazy uh, amount of growth. What learning lessons came from that growth, essentially? Several things came from that. Probably the biggest one, like you said, it was massive growth. And I learned later on that you can't grow that quick and not have a bunch of difficulties after the fact. We were struggling even with customers that were paying us quick. It was difficult to absorb all of uh, that expense. It was, we rushed into a new size, which took a different managerial type of, how would I say it? That when you go from just yourselves, it's easy to manage yourselves. All of a sudden, when you've got 15 employees, you have to have a different skill set. And like I said, I had limited professional training, and most of what I brought there was training I had learned from my previous employer and you know the job type training so we struggled with some of the employee relations areas we struggled with maintaining a good balance of cash in the account we had i caused more conversations with my vendors to make sure that they were understanding that we'll be good for the money but it's going to take a little bit of time and it actually took several years before we could dig ourselves out of that and which added to probably some poor decisions on some of the work we took because some of the work we took, we were just chasing revenue to, hey, if we get this job, we're gonna bring in this amount of money, which is gonna fill the coffers and help us dig out of this hole quicker. And some of those, I don't know if they were the wisest decisions. How did you figure out which were, you know, which jobs to take on? It's you know this is the this is the contractor dilemma, right? Chasing chasing the dollar, but not every dollar is a good dollar. How did you figure that out? Boy, some of that was luck that we that we were able to find the good work. There was one particular job up in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, that another cutter had been on that we took in our. I think it started in our second year in business, and that job was like it totaled about two million dollars in work. And it required me having crews out of town every day for multiple years. And it, if it had gone the wrong direction, that would have put us out of business. But we were fortunate that it did go well. 
And, you know, that customer honored and paid in a timely fashion. And it actually helped us to understand that you could go after the larger jobs and how to bid them and not, you know, be totally freaked out by this is a $2 million job. How am I ever going to get it done? I was able to compartmentalize it down into sections and say, if we can do this, and there's 50 of these, all you have to do is do each one of these 50 and break it down into more reasonable sections. And by doing that, I was able to figure out how to do it. And we came up with a good price and it actually turned out to be a very good job and opened the door for us later on to start a company up in Wisconsin, actually doing work for Wisconsin contractors. So, Sounds like there was a lot of growth and learning for for you personally, but I also heard something earlier and I want to kind of tie this in. What's the difference between leadership and management? In from my perspective, leadership is having vision and being out in front of the company and making decisions, looking into the future or whatever period of time makes sense to try to put in place a plan that is the best course of action for that company. Management is, should be proactive, but often is a reactive leadership where you've got this situation today, how do I manage it? What do we do? Where leadership is the person who's got that vision who can, and then also through their actions can hopefully draw people to follow them. And how does that, how does that affect your company today? I look at the fact that who we were back then, we were managing a lot of people. There was a period of time several years ago where we transformed the company and try, I personally tried to take a role that was more of a leader's role to create a vision and to be that person out front that others could follow and try to, if you treat them with respect, if you provide them a good place to work, those people are to be comfortable to stay here. You know, obviously in business, people like I left, others have left me over the years and formed other companies or gone to work for competitors. But I've learned in the long run that if you're not happy here or you're not happy with her, or for some reason you feel this calling to go someplace else, it's better for both of us if you just go off and do your thing. I remember so, we were talking about this before and you had some, said something that was very interesting. You said, you know, we're, we're kind of like a training center. <laughs> we, we have so many people that go off to, to do their own cutting business or concrete business. And it, at first it was a little bit more like, ah, you know, you're leaving and, and you kind of grew into that. Yeah. Good, good for you. Like you, you saw it a little bit more reflective. Tell us about that a little bit. Well, yes, we all want to believe we have the only recipe in town and everybody should stay here and that we do it better than everybody else. But just like I had a dream to improve my life and provide for my family and go off on my own, Others have done the self-motivated people we've hired also have some of them have had that entrepreneurial um, mindset, too, and they stay for you, stay with you for a while 
and then at some point they choose for whatever reason, whatever circumstance there was that they're going to go off. And when you make changes with your management, often what happens if two man uh, your manager and them don't see eye to eye on certain things, and you've got somebody at a competing company who they've developed a relationship with, they might leave. I took it very personal for a long time. And, and it, you know, you almost, and that same thing happened when I started in business with my former employer, they took it very personal. It was almost like we were these enemies when in reality, none of us can do all the work. And there is a place in this industry for multiple companies. And we all serve different segments of the industry because we all have our different cultures that we run by, and we all have those types of jobs that we feel most comfortable working on. So there is that diversity, which I believe is healthy for the industry. And it's healthy for you as a company to be grateful for the people you have, wish the person who's leaving well, and, and just hopefully you can coexist with each other and do it in an honorable way where, you know, I respect you. I hired you. I had you here for 10 years. There's a reason you were here for 10 years. I appreciated what you did for me and my family. And now you've gone off. I wish you well there. I hope you're successful and healthy there too. And I think that's a better way to manage it. And hopefully people who've left me can say, yeah, that's, I've seen that in here. You know, you know, it's another way of showing people respect. So early on, it seems like you've you had some things that you learned later on and you made some changes in your company later on, especially with how you manage people. What was it like early on managing your people uh, and the decision making then versus, you know, kind of closer to closer to now? It seems like, you know, there's a lot of changes that had, that had happened over the years from you learning and, you know, went from looking at just bottom line to other things. Do you want to talk about that a little bit? Yeah, we can talk about that a little bit. I would say earlier on, obviously when we were first in business, there were closer relationships. It was that, you know, even the first couple of years, you knew everybody, you knew their families, you you would see them on a regular business, on a regular basis. We They would come into the shop, so there'd be this interaction. As you grow, there became a time where the interaction between myself in particular and the employees became more distant, not because I didn't care about them, but I was so overwhelmed with the work and my tasks to do that there weren't those interactions. And our work can be difficult on these projects. And we were driven by, we need to make so much money, we need to get all this work in. And there wasn't that same small company feel. And I, I believe we probably operated like old school company. Here's your job. We, you know, there was no asking. There was the, here's the job, go do it. Let me know when you're done. We got another one for you. And, and I think guys were getting worn out and they weren't feeling appreciated. And, and you know, and then as I look back, I probably wouldn't have felt appreciated either if I was in their position. And I think we've tried to change it, you know, it's since I made a conscious effort when my business partner passed away in 2004 that we were going to change that culture and we worked hard to try to transform it. 
And I think we're still learning every day how to do a better job at it. It's, you know, I'm definitely sorry to hear of the passing of your business partner. We'll talk about that in in just a minute. I still want to touch upon a few few things around, I mean, really, this is the entrepreneurial tax, right? No one talks about it, but there's a lot of cost to learning lessons. You talked a little bit about, you know, in the beginning, what did that actually do to your company? You know, why did it happen? And, you know, you talked about how you got out of it, but why did it happen in the first place? We were growing and starting other companies. We had started another company in Wisconsin in the mid-90s. We started a wire guidance company in the 90s. We started another concrete cutting company in central Illinois. So we were driven in this entrepreneurial spirit to grow this web of companies. But as we did it, we didn't build this firm foundation and we made some significant mistakes and we got ourselves into a lawsuit with several of our ex-employees which dragged on for several years and created a lot of angst and it was during that six-year period that my business partner passed away and so i was left to fix all those issues that had been created and to try to find a proper course moving forward for a company. You know, there's definitely some entrepreneurial tax there. And since you've mentioned it twice already, I think maybe we should talk a little bit about kind of what happened there. You had a partner that you brought on and he passed away. Was there, uh, was there any issues there with your partner, you know, or, or any type of transition with your partner passing? What did that look like? He was a co-founder. So we, we started together and he, was a larger than life person. I mean, he walked in a room and he would command a presence and he had that ability to talk to the guys and be this, you know, I mean, he was a 300 plus pound guy who was six foot something. And, you know, he was a big Greek German and, you know, he, he lived life with a very outgoing personality. We got along great and we had a great partnership. When your partnership, when a situation like that happens, you need to make sure there's things in place that help with that transition because we developed debt together. We had commitments out there that we had to satisfy and we were in the middle of this labor disagreement that we had with a group of ex-employees so when and he was the person who handled most of that so i was again primarily focused on the sales end of the company and he handled the weight you know paying people and 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 dealing with the schedule and the operations he when he passed it became a difficult separation with his estate and it took us several years and a lot of expense to reach a mutual agreement and we purchased and bought out the estate, but it cost a lot of and money and utilizing the court system in order to get to where we both came to an agreement. And that was a difficult process. And if I was to say anything that I learned from that is if you have a business partner, make sure it's all clearly spelled out in writing 
and make sure that whatever spouse or significant other is it family that's involved at least acknowledges they're aware of whatever agreements are and the less you leave to oral agreements and the more you document when everything is going good and you don't procrastinate because we would often procrastinate on getting agreements completed and one particular agreement was very costly to me that it never got completed. One of the things you had mentioned specifically was a key man, key man policy, key man coverage. And that that was a piece of this, correct? And like the importance of, of how this all works out? Yeah, I mean, a key man policy is put in place because you have a person who is a key employee who could be for a variety of reasons. If they were to pass away, you would lose a revenue stream. If it's your partner, you and you guys have, and your company is leveraged, you have personal guarantees. You are, when your partner passes away, the remaining partner is assuming all the personal guarantees for any outstanding bank loan. And then obviously he covered a segment of the company that I had to choose or employ somebody to replace, or what I chose to do is assume his role is the operations and still doing the sales, but I took on a lot of his duties and then hired people for business development. So you're taking on expense, but it's, again, that's something that if you're gonna do it, you wanna make sure you clear, that everybody clearly understands that's the purpose of that type of policy. And you have agreements in place that make sure that you're not arguing or your interpretation of what something is is different than somebody else's. Why was it costly that he passed away? There were legal costs to settle with his estate that and then it's costly because your your mind is tied up doing this instead of going out and doing what the business needs. So for probably a two-year period, the company suffered from it because my attention was divided. I had to prepare documents. I had to try to fix this and that labor problem and at the same time run a company that you know had the same debt and had you know had the same obligations that need to be completed and we had customers looking for our full attention to get their work done and trying to manage all that could be difficult i was fortunate that i had some employees who were able to step up and fill those gaps for me as we did that and i'm thankful for that if I had to do that on my own, it never would have happened. And if I didn't have my faith, I don't know how I would have got through it. Going right back, right back around to kind of your core values and, and who you are. This is, I mean, it's terrible that you have to go through these type of learning lessons. I'm hoping whoever listens really hears this, hears these nuggets so that they don't have to go through what you had to go through. Losing a business partner, let's say what it is, it sucks right? Because they were responsible. There's a lot of trust, especially if you have a good partner, there's a lot of trust in that other person that they do what you, what needs to be done for the company. So if you lose that, right, you're also losing a piece of the company and trying to replace that, especially with good people is really, really hard. 
So having all these things in, in place in writing, right, that's the key part here, would, would have helped you in a lot of angst and a lot of really emotional drain. Is that a good, good way of putting it, Jim? Yeah, not only for me, but my business partner's widow and his estate. I mean, as I look back, we, were, we all had to navigate that. And I wouldn't have wanted to be on the other side of that equation where suddenly your your husband is no longer here and you're questioning what your future is and how you're going to get beyond where you're at. I mean, we had our disagreements, but ultimately we got to a point where we agreed on an, on a course of action and we took that course of action and Janine and I took a leap of faith and said, we're just going to pay this out, put this behind us, and we're going to do the best, put our full concentration on moving the company forward. And we shut down the peripheral companies. The one company was already going to be sold in Wisconsin to a family member. And then we shut down the Central Illinois company. And I just concentrated on hard rock and I tried to not get distracted as much best I could in other areas. Let's so, talk about the, the forward. I, I feel like the beginning of the 2000s did not go in any way, shape or form like you had hoped it to go. But hard rock today, certainly from my perspective, is in a good place. It is like you guys have been successful. You've, you've done the test of time. You've gone through those hardships. What what happened? So 2000, you know, early 2000s, you have all this going on. What happens after that that gets you to where you are today? I would say, I mean, when I look back at that was my doctorate in running a business. And it was not fun. As you talk to some people when they do their doctorate, that's not a fun time. But when they're done, they've taken their education level to that next highest level. And, you know, I just feel that it's a journey I had to take because of, you know, actions have consequences. And there were things that happened that caused things. And I believe that the lessons I learned during those years have been burned into me to my very core. And because of it, I want to make sure that we don't make those mistakes again. I want to make sure that uh, we as a business leader in the industry or that we are willing to share it. If, you know, somebody asks, how'd you get through it? I mean, just like we're doing here, you know, part of it is perseverance. I mean, you just got to will yourself, you know, to get through it. But it's also, like I said, I had the confidence that this is temporal and you're going to get to this in the future and no matter if this blows up god's got me and i'm going to i'll figure something out my wife has always joked when i do different things that if concrete cutter doesn't work out i'll be doing something around the house she goes you could do that or you could do that you know different things and i have a confidence that if i had i went off i could do other things and be successful at them I think a lot of it is just a mindset that you're not afraid to take a chance and you've got that again the perseverance to work through it and have a vision to see a success in the future 
you're very thoughtful, Jim. Like you're like you 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 have obviously been in business a long time for a reason because you take what happens and you learn from those things and you don't let that be the reason why you close the doors. You figure out a way. Lots of grit, certainly. So obviously we you know we talked we talked a whole bunch about people. One of the things that when we were having our, our pre podcast discussion, we we talked about processes and like how crucial processes have become for Hard Rock. Can you talk a little bit about that? Oh sure. We with your guys' help and others have had to look at pre pandemic. We worked through a lot of stuff to be able to do a lot of our work remotely and to be able to process documents paperless and to be able to do our field tickets and everything on the smartphones with our employees and we've worked real hard to create different processes and best practices and and try to give our employees the best tools not just the concrete cutting tools but other tools to make them as successful as we can in the field and also trying to put in place boundaries on what the expectation or put in place expectations. And then with expectations, you have to have accountability and do it in a way that is promoting positive recourse or course of action rather than as a stick, try to encourage, try to say, if we do it this way, this is a better way. This is why this is better. Not always just do as I say, like they're talking to your three-year-old, but talk to the person and try to show them. So with Doug and others, my director operation, Doug St. Marie and others, we've been able to put these processes in place to put the frontline people, which are the face to our customers, to put them in the best position to succeed on the jobs. And I think that's why we've been trusted on so many very high profile projects over the years. Can you give us an example of one of those processes? <laughs> Again, if it's if it's uh, the secret sauce, we don't necessarily want you to divulge that to everybody, but obviously processes happen across all construction companies. And like, what are some that you've actually you've put in place that have made a, a big impact on your company? I would say one of them is the safety protocols we have. We use a customized dispatch software where when an employee shows up on a job, they get a, a work order which has tasks on it. And then those tasks are highlighted in a couple safety documents. One is a job site safety analysis report and on that safety analysis report, we've got about a no, typical known hazards, and it, it simplifies it for the employee to fill it out. And we've encouraged and we've actually uh, put in place potential awards that an employee can get. Basically, we, re, we, we reward behavior. And so we put in place raffle drawings that they can win some nice prizes quarterly or at the end of the year. And then in addition to that, because of the silica OSHA mandate that came out, I think it was 2017, you're required to do a silica site survey on every project. And we were able, with the help of our software consultant, to put a 
customized site silica survey together that would go off the tasks and again identify the known hazards which would speed up the process. The good thing with these is on every project employee has to fill them out at the beginning of their day. They clock in, they fill these out. If they aren't filled out by a certain time, it locks out their ability to add more information. And so they need to go back and make sure that that's filled out. The good part is they sign it, it's time stamped, and we're over 4,000 different jobs a year for 6,000 jobs, depending on the year. And we create probably about 16,000 work orders. So to be able to do that with paper or to get close to 100% compliance within the first half hour on a job would be very difficult to do manually. But through this automated process with the accountability and it basically stops them from being able to continue to put their job information in. So they need to go back and complete it. We have 100% compliance and it's always done. It's just we have a 90 some percent that's done within the first half hour on the job site. That's really fast. Holy yeah, cow. That's super fast. Jim, when you talk to your wife today, tell, tell her that I said, if the concrete thing doesn't work out, you can be a consultant. Your knowledge base of business, you know, with your doctorate from the early 2000s, yeah. that, that's, that you, could, you could absolutely be that. You obviously have learned a lot from, you know, just School of Hard Knocks, as well as learning through uh, consultants. Are there any books that have also impacted your journey? Well, the Bible has for sure. It's a place I go to when, you know, there's some deep water and I try to find answers because it's the best one to go find answers from. I'm not a big reader. For me, I find uh, solace in uh, Christian worship music or uh, podcasts by different ministers. And I try to remember, uh, that's where I find comfort. As far as reading, unfortunately, that's, if there's a weakness I have, it's reading. I just, it's maybe why I'm in construction. Well, thank you for your candor. I think, Justin, you got any other questions you want to ask? We could ask them a whole bunch, but... The, the one question that we ask all the time is, if you could go back 20 years, Jim, what would you tell yourself? If I could go back 20 years, I would say take more time in the relationships and less in the busyness of the day, because the busyness of the day is not it'll always be there and you know, you'll get it done. I mean, you know, Zig Ziglar once talked about that if you wanna make sure you get something done in your mind, you act like you're going on vacation tomorrow. And it's amazing how effective you can be at getting done what you need to today, what's important today. And then that's the other thing is making sure you work on the stuff that's important not urgent, you know, or, or that people come to you and say, I need this done, but this is a more important task. Get the more important task done first. But I think it's the relationship side that I probably should have done a better job at. Uh, but when you're in overwhelm, that's often not only at work, but at home suffers. And then the other thing that I'd be more intentional when I'd leave work because I used to leave work and try to, on, a, on my journey home, 
there was a point along my normal route where I would try to, when I passed by that repair shop, it told me I'm on home mode and not work mode. And then I tried to prepare myself to go home to be a good father and a good husband. And, and not just do the minimum, but be joy to both my children and my wife. I love that. That's awesome. Jim, you've been awesome. Thank you so much for sharing your, your story today and for sharing all those nuggets. You've just been an awesome, awesome guest on our podcast today. Are there any last things that you want to say to the world, say to the industry that you'd like to share? Just um, as I look back and we, you know, I think I said this earlier, but I just want to repeat it. Obviously, I had differences with people in the past. We worked through them. We got to a point where we both said, you know, we're good with it. And and those were some deep waters. But as I look back, I, I have to look back at those with joy, too, not just the difficulty of the situation, because if I hadn't gone through those, where would I be today? And what would my story be today if I didn't have that as part of my life? So, you know, that's the other thing people have to understand. Yes, it's difficult. I'm dealing with this today, but there is a brighter future ahead. If you keep the faith, if you persevere there, you know, and I'm sure there's going to be other deep water in my life. And hopefully I've learned from the past that that's not what defines me. So wise words. So thank you, Jim. You've been awesome today. Thank you so much. If you want to get in contact with Jim or Hard Rock, we'll drop uh, information in the show notes. Till next time, adios. Thank you for joining us today and listening to this episode. If this episode did help you, then be sure to share it with someone else who needs to hear it. If you want to be a guest on the podcast or looking for additional help on your journey to find more wealth, scale, and freedom in your AEC company, visit our AEC resources page at spotmigration.com dot com backslash AEC hyphen resources. resources.